Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Travis Lape, the Innovations Program Director of the Harrisburg School District in South Dakota. And from makerspaces to personalized learning, Travis Lape is one of those special digital leaders who's always on the cutting edge of school innovation. The latest initiative in the Harrisburg School District is an elementary school without grade levels. Yes, you can make it happen with personalized learning. Be sure to follow Travis Lape on Twitter, at Travis Lape, and be sure to check out his wonderful blog, Lens Into Learning. As always, thanks for listening to this episode and for supporting the Reimagined Schools podcast. I hope you enjoy this special interview with my friend, Travis Slate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm so excited to have a very special guest today from South Dakota, our friend Travis Lape. How are you, hey, Travis? Great. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, you were a guest on the previous Going Digital show. I know you're doing some amazing things there in the Harrisburg School District in South Dakota. Your title now is Innovations Program Director. Correct. Yeah. So I've, I've kind of changed a few roles since the time I've been with you on the Going Digital show. Um, at that point, I was a technology integrationist where I was just working with teachers and integrating technology into their lesson design. And then um, in between that, I served a year as an assistant principal to kind of help start a new idea in our school district of personalized learning and what can that look like. And so kind of my role as an assistant principal was to really help get that off the ground and really support the teachers in that environment. And then the district decided that we needed somebody that could do it K-12 and really continue to push the vision of where our district wants to head in this idea of ed tech world, but also this idea of really changing school cultures and, and what could school look like for kids today. So I'm always fascinated by this idea, this job description you probably have as innovation director. And innovation means a lot of different things to different people. But when you sit in your office and think about what your job is as a innovations program director is it trying to shatter that status quo trying to create better schools for kids or what's your mindset you know i think it's a it's a mixture because we know there are things that work instructionally that have a large effect on learning and those things don't change that hasn't changed but the structures of our industrial system has to change uh i really believe that we have to really think differently about where where kids are getting their information and where and how fast they can get their information today. And so are we more of giving out information or are we more now trying to tap into that creativity and innovative process where they're really getting to the point of making the argument of this is how I know this. This is how I know this standard. This is how I learned it. And I'm going to prove it to you rather than just an assessment piece. And so when I, when I, when I sit in my office, it's more on the lines of, you know, what could we do? Um, asking the what if, and then coming back to it and saying, okay, what's next? So if we get this, what's, what's the outcome or what are we hoping to do? And then really trying to start a little, a, a little fire because none of this change happens in my office. It happens in the, in the teacher's lives and in their classrooms. 
I have to find a, a nucleus of teachers that say, yeah, I believe in this. I want to go with you on this. And then I just pour all my support and my backing into their, their learning so that they can then drive it because none of this innovation happens in my office. It happens in the classrooms with those teachers. And we're recording this podcast in July, uh, right after the ISTE conference in Chicago. And you were telling me before we came on air, it was your first ISTE conference. So for those listeners out there that didn't have a chance to go or have never been before, what's your takeaway as a first timer? You know, it's, it's huge. It's, it was, for me, it was a little overwhelming. Um, I tried to do my homework before going. I read tons of blogs from people that uh, shared their first experience and the the pros and cons and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and where you should go. And so I was, I thought I was prepared. And then I got there on Sun on Saturday night and attended some sessions on Sunday. And it was crazy. Um, the afternoon session I went to, I had to stand in line for 35 minutes just to get a seat to watch the ignite sessions. It was crazy. Um, and so that night I went back and I said, okay, I'm totally re replanning my ISTE like Monday, Tuesday. I, I don't want to stand in line for 35 minutes to, to get this. Um, I need to revamp this. And so it was an incredible experience for me. Um, I was able to attend a ton of poster sessions and just get really little bits of information that now I can come back to into a folder and say, okay, what did I like? What, what do I need to look at deeper? Uh, and it was cool learning and that's what I probably appreciated the most at the poster sessions their playgrounds were incredible and then the exhibit hall itself is just crazy I mean it's it's overwhelming how many people are there um, vendors are there and the thing that I I, I I took away from that the most was all those vendors have the fixed education <laughs> you know all those vendors have the fixed education but the one thing that I I, I think a lot of vendors were missing was this was this change in thinking um they they had the tool to monitor devices or they had the tool to lock down kids from doing something rather than opening up the creativity loop and saying okay how does my tool really reinvent learning in the sense of getting kids to think differently getting them to think about their thinking and really apply their learning there wasn't a lot of tools at ISTE on that sort it was more on the sort of here's how we can monitor kids and lock them down and not let them do anything. And in, in my world and in my belief, that's, that's the wrong direction we want to go. And we talked previously about uh, you and your district were really one of the leaders uh, out in front in the makerspace movement when we talked a couple of years ago. And uh, just kind of give us an update. How has that evolved uh, in your school district? And I would assume it's still – probably the favorite place in your buildings for kids to gather. Yeah. When we, when we went down this road, gosh, five years ago now about the, the, the huge support for us was Laura Fleming. She had done this. She had written a book. She, she was always there for me. Um, if it was through Twitter or just a video conference, we could meet up and we could talk through things. And I would tell you that the reason our makerspaces in our district are, as vibrant and as busy as they are today as they were five years ago was really her focus on it's not about the tool but it's about building an environment that supports them to allow them to be creative and innovative in trial by failing and by failing forward and trying something new and so yeah our, our makerspaces are still vibrant our middle school environment continues to blossom it's even morphed into our building principal at that 
at that building at South Middle School actually has created an additional class called the Idea Foundry. And through this Idea Foundry, he's taken the design process, the design thinking process, and really applied it. And so the learners will go through the design thinking process in about six weeks. And he's merged that class with the makerspace idea of bringing tools and prototyping and really getting kids to think about how can they use these tools in a different way. And it's just been, it's been incredible to see the use of that space and, and how busy it is constantly. Uh, and then just how kids are constantly wanting to do more uh, with those tools outside of just the makerspace it's kind of now pushed us to think differently about our, our library spaces in our elementary. Uh, because in our district, our elementary system is more of a special. So uh, teachers get their prep time over the library time. And so we've, we've just kind of had a more traditional library time where we teach a library lesson, they maybe do a little activity, and then they check out books. And so we've really tried to start to change the mindset in the library to, to really truly take on a media center makerspace culture and it's it's been awesome the few of our we've got six elementaries and a few of our elementaries have really latched onto this idea and the creativeness and the ideas that kids are having as young as kindergarten coming in and messing around with legos and tinker tinker toys and connects and just watching the creations they're making is is incredible but we know going forward that's just going to enhance all of our other experiences for our kids because they've come in with this idea of I can, I can tinker with this and not be afraid if I'm going to break it or not. And, and you use the term design thinking uh, when you were talking about what you're doing. Uh, what does that mean to you and, and what should that look like in a school district? You know, I think it's just the process. It's, it's getting kids to go through a process when they're thinking about creating something. I've got to go through a design process to empathize with why am I making this? What's the purpose of doing this project or doing this creation? So let me empathize with a user or empathize with, you know what, I need to prove my learning here to show my mastery in this standard. And now I'm going to ideate and I'm going to create some ideas of what I'm going to do to, to make this happen. And then I'm going to prototype and test and see if it really gets to the heart of it. So for me, design thinking is more about getting kids to think through a process rather than this huge arch, you know, deal that takes way too long that teachers are like, I don't have time for in my classroom. But you do have time if we can build a structure and the structure is just getting kids to think through these different processes that then leverage the creation and the innovation that they can do once they've thought through it. Cause I think it's too hard. I think I, I hear it from teachers all the time in our district that I can't, I can't just give the kids a project. They can't, they don't know where to start or what to do next. And most of the time my, my phrase back to them is, well, have we, have we supported them in, in thinking about that? Because they've never really been challenged to do that. So rather than just dumping something on them, let's create an invisible structure for them where they can think through a process, but they're really not playing. They're not feeling like they're playing by the teacher's rules. It's just something they're doing just organically. And I think that process is good for life in general. I think you and I use that process just organically when we're doing our projects or, you know, our home projects, I think of a home project that I'm about to go do after the show today. And I've had to go through that process of designing, thinking about it. And then now I'm going to go and trial and error and see if it helps my water problem in my basement. If it doesn't, I'll go back to it and redo it. 
Right. And, and, you know, that's a perfect segue into what you're doing now. Uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot uh, and, and you had, have even written a blog post about what you're doing, which is fantastic. But you're, you're really deep into personalized learning in your school district. And you're going without grade levels at the elementary school, which is highly innovative. So can you kind of walk us through that and tell us what that looks like and how it came about? Yeah, so this, this whole process in our district, the one thing I would tell districts, and I tell them all the time when they visit us, is if you're looking at our makerspace or you're looking at our personalized learning, these things did not happen overnight. Like, we didn't turn on a light switch the next day and say, hey, we're going to go do this. Uh, it's taken time. Um, we're on, I think, year nine now of this whole idea of personalized learning in our district. It started at our high school nine years ago, really wanting to do something different with time. And with that time came about this idea of why does it take a year for a kid to do Algebra 1 when they could progress through Algebra 1 in a half a semester? Uh, who said that it should take a year? And so our, our high school really led the way in this. And I would tell you that the high school probably shouldn't have led the way because for nine years, kids were told everything, what to do, what's on the test, when to go to the bathroom, what to eat for lunch. And now we gave them autonomy and we didn't support them. So it was a, it was a bumpy road to begin with at the high school. Uh, parent pushback just because it was something new. Uh, kid pushback because they didn't feel like teachers were teaching anymore. It was just, it was, it was tough. Uh, but we had a really bold school board that said, no, we believe in what we're doing. We're going to stay the course. But we need to start looking at it differently in the middle school and the elementary. And so that's really how we got brought on of the elementary process was we had to start younger and really start supporting our kids in the elementary. And we asked the question, what makes a second grader truly a third grader after 178 days of school? And we couldn't answer that. Like as professionals, we didn't know what made a second grader a third grader because every kid came into third grade either at, above, or below in some subject matter. They, they weren't all ready for third grade material, but we, we, in our industrial system, we just moved them through the, the grade levels. And so we, we, we first asked that question. The second question we asked was, what if we took four learning facilitators or four teachers and we put them all together and leveraged their strengths in their teaching rather than just saying, you're only a third grade teacher, you only teach third grade material. And so we really went through this process of asking all these questions and then bringing together a nucleus. We brought together four teachers that really had a passion that believed in this idea and said, okay, you guys are going to be the pilot and here's what we've got. Here's what we're thinking. How do you think this fits? And it was truly their ideas that really started to grow this. We as administration just supported them. When they said, hey, let's try this. We said, sure, we're behind you. We'll help you. What tools do you need? And we let them take a hold of it because that's where this fire really has started because they're the ones pushing it in our district along with our parents now, but not, not the administration. Um, and so in our environment in the elementary, we have four teachers, which we call learning facilitators. We have four learning studios, which used to be called classrooms. And the reason for our language change is we had to get our kids to rethink about school. Uh, no longer do I just go to Miss Hansen for third grade. I go to Miss Hansen when I need support in multiplication division. I go to Miss Hansen when I need geometry, but I don't go to Miss Hansen for addition subtraction because that's covered by a different learning facilitator. And so we really had to change our language. And with that language change, 
came this whole shift in thinking about our, our school differently. And so in that environment, the learners move between all four learning studios very fluently based on what they need and where they're at in their learning. And that took time to build uh, with our learning facilitators because that structure just doesn't organically happen. And, you know, I, I love this idea of, um, you know, for some reason, we've always fallen into this status quo uh, where all 10-year-olds have to be in fifth grade. And we're going to group them all together based on their age. And as I was reading through your blog and talking with you a little bit, I mean, you, you identify your students, I think it's littles and bigs. Yes. Kind of talk about, uh, again, the terminology that you use is huge in kind of changing that mindset. That was really for our, really on our end, because we didn't want to, it was, it, it was just organic or natural always to ask a kid, what grade are you in? So when, uh, when an administrator would come into the classroom or, you know, we, we always wanted to know who was in this learning studio, but we didn't want to ever refer to them as second, third or fourth or fifth graders. So we labeled them littles, middles, molders and olders. And it was just this idea of when we refer to them, we want them to be able to still recognize by their age, but not by their grade. Because we have littles, which traditionally would be a second grader, who are reading at a level 30 or a 40 and doing math more at a fourth grade level. But in a traditional environment, they would only be doing second grade math. And so how do you support them and make sure that they're getting what they need? Well, in our environment, because we've broken down the idea of grade levels, we've changed our language with a lot of things. They don't feel any different. They just feel like that's where I need to go. And that's where I'm at in my learning. We've tried to take that competition out of school because at some point school became a competition. It was always a race. Who got the best grades? Who turned in their paper the fastest? Uh, who got extra time for this? Like, school became a competition and school is never meant to be a competition. It should be about the growth and the learning and it should be about each individual learner rather than a, a group of 25 or 30 learners that we put in a classroom. And so we've really had to change the language that has really helped us drive our environments because now the kids think about, they think about their learning rather than thinking about, well, I'm in second grade and now I'm super smart because I'm going to Miss Hansen, who is the third grade teacher. Nope, she's not the third grade teacher. She teaches some standards in third grade, but she teaches a lot more than just that. And, you know, I had the chance to watch the YouTube video and kind of get a glimpse into what your school day looks like. And, and I love the idea that you start the day with a really you call it a morning meeting where all the kids gather and it's kind of a, you know, building team spirit, unity, understanding what's going on. And then after that, you go into, I think, a one hour reading block because, yeah. you know, reading obviously is a priority, especially at the lower levels. Yes. You know, so, so a day you, you hit right on it, Greg, a day for our learners start together um, because we had to break down this, this, that stigma. Parents always were, were concerned too of like my seven-year-old's going to be with fifth graders. I don't like that idea. And we're like, but we're going to build community with them and they are going to become big brother and big sisters and little brothers and little, like, it's just going to be a family. And it, because we spent the first two weeks of school, building that capacity with them around the 16 habits of mind that really started to build trust with each other. And so when learners were in studios with other learners, they really never felt different because they were always together. We started the morning together. We, we, we did bigger projects together. So if, if one co if one 
learning studio was going to do a large project, wax museum, a lot of schools do. Everybody did it, not just them. So we took away this idea that only fourth graders do the wax museum. No, the whole cohort, the community of learners do the wax museum. And so we really had to think about teaching differently too. Like our learning facilitators really had never been on a team. Like they have to be on a team for this. And so we start the morning all together, all four learning facilitators, all 90 to 94 learners are together. Then they go off into their learning, their learning block of time for reading. And we have two learning studios that teach the learners still that need structural reading, foundational reading skills. So learners still learning how to read. And then we have learners that are reading to learn. And those are two drastic different styles, but we have two studios that support the learners still learning how to read. And we have the two studios that have the learners reading to learn. And we're able to meet the learners where they're at rather than just, you know, in a classroom, you have four or five different reading groups. And so we're able to meet them. And then they, after reading, we go into our math block. And what's, what's really cool about our math block is we built a math continuum of how standards build over, over time. So we took place value and we started place value off at second grade. And how does place value build through fifth grade? And then we did the same for addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, all the way through. Then I looked at all four learning facilitators and I said, what are, what's your passion? What do you like to teach? What, what's like your favorite stuff? And they, they all started talking and then we started assigning it. We said, okay, you're only going to teach multiplication division, but you're going to teach multiplication division from how it starts as a second grade standard through how it builds as a fifth grade standard. So they're covering the standards, but now they're the expert in how the standard builds over time. So when the learners come into that learning studio and they take a pre-assessment to find out where they drop in their standards, we call them measurement topics. The learning facilitator truly knows all those standards in, an, in a powerful way to really support learning. And so each learning facilitator takes their passion. I have a facilitator who is crazy about fractions and loves fractions. He teaches all the fractions from third through fifth grade to really support the learners in their learning. And, and I know your district's been a hotbed for visitors the last couple years. You even had the governor of your state come, a lot of high-ranking officials, uh, you know, educators from a lot of different states are coming to visit. What's their takeaway or what kind of questions are you getting from those folks? I think a lot of them are just impressed with, it's, it's hard to imagine a seven-year-old being able to drive their day of learning. Uh, when you think of second graders and just, still learning the whole process and school is funny you know it, it's it's funny that we have all these structures in place and and that we don't always trust seven-year-olds to be able to do things because they they can totally do things like they are they can be independent they can work by themselves they can work with a partner and they can learn at a at a pretty quick rate when you empower them like that and so i think the biggest takeaway from a lot of our visitors is just they're, they're just so impressed with the family feeling that has happened in the cohort because no matter what learning studio they went into, it had different levels of learners, but they never felt like learners really felt any different. Like they would sit down with a learner and be like, where are you at in your learning? And they would be able to tell them exactly their standard, what they're trying to prove in their learning. And then like, they would be like, well, my best friend's on two standards above me, but that's where they're at. And I just need more support here right now. And, and that's where I'm at. And so it was like, to them, they were like, wow, like the competition totally has been removed. Like if kids can talk about this, 
rather than making it a taboo topic, if they can talk about their learning and share that, there's no problem here. And so a lot of takeaways has been that they, they've really supported um, the, the whole idea of changing this. The scary thing is, is the support that they would be needed, needed by their district. Like not every district has what we have in our district. And so they're trying to wrap their head around how do we do this with maybe not all the support that you guys have and how do, how do we just organically grow it? And so we always, we walk, we, we kind of talk through that. We walk them through, but then we also share with them all the resources that we've had. Like we didn't get here by ourselves. Um, there's a school out in Maine called Cornville Charter they're a charter school. And so they can do a few things different than we can in a public sector, but they still are doing great things for kids that we went and watched. And we're like, we can bring this back to the public school. We can do this in a public school. We just have to get out of our, out of our own way sometimes and say, okay, we know this is what's best for kids. We know this type of instruction is best for kids. Then let's make it happen and take some things away. You know, and I also think there's this huge misconception, and a lot of our listeners may be thinking, this is not something we can do in our school district. Uh, Harrisburg School District must be a charter school or magnet school, or they must have some special grant. It's impossible to do that just in a day-to-day, regular, rural, public setting, but it's not. And and I like the fact that you said, uh, if you come visit or you contact me and ask about what we're doing, you don't necessarily want to completely replicate what we're doing, but come here, get some ideas, let's talk, and then kind of make it your own, which I think is, is a great message. You, and that's, you, you, you hit it right on the head. Like, that's what I tell t- people all the time. Like, you can come and love what we do. That's awesome. Like, we're proud of what we're doing with kids and we're proud of what we're able to do. But here's, here's the reality. If you come and take everything we've done and replicate it and go back to your school and do it, it's going to fail or we're just creating the next iteration of the industrial system because not every school should operate the same way because not every school have the exact same learners, the exact same community needs. And so you need to take pieces of what we do if you like, and then put it into yours, spin it, make it different. The best thing is, is when I get emails from schools that said, Hey, we came to visit. We love this. We did this in our classrooms. We saw awesome results, but here's what, here's what else we're doing. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm going to take that now because that's a great idea. Um, we're better together. And somehow in this, in this profession, we have to stop competing against each other and making money off each other and really come together and say, what's best for kids? That's why we don't charge for visits. That's why we don't charge for our resources. Like, I want to help people. We want to be able to give back to people just as we were given and make this better because at the end of the day, all that matters is this is the future of our country that we're educating. No matter if it's in South Dakota, Alabama, New York, California, we can do it. The other thing I tell schools is if you're a small school, this is easy. This is a piece of cake. We're six elementaries, four section schools. Like this is a, this is a shift in our culture. But if you're a one section school, rule you can do this. And for the first time, your teachers probably will feel more supported than ever before because they'll have other teachers together to work with. And, and let's jump back to the, to the upper grades, to the high school. As, as I continued to do research on what you're doing, I, I was also fascinated with the idea that at the high school level, you're actually bringing professors on site and yeah. offering college courses in your buildings. 
Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So that's something that's organically come together too. So that's, we, we, we forecasted this. We, when, when the high school went down this road, we forecasted, not myself, our, our principal and our superintendent uh, forecasted that we were going to have to create something their senior year, because if they could pace ahead, they were going to get to their senior year and not have a lot of options left. And so we said, okay, what if we started a early college or early career pathway once they met graduation requirements? Once they got their graduation requirements, they could, they could apply to be in this, this additional pathway. And then with this pathway was to create options that our learners were interested in. So we have a really high interest in the healthcare field right now in our district. Um, and, and it's not surprising. Our, the reason our district is booming right now is because of the healthcare industry. Uh, we have two very large hospitals in our, in our proximity. And so we just have a large interest. And so we decided that we would create a healthcare pathway. And we talked with our local hospitals and we said, what do, what do kids need? What do, what's the best thing for them? And they're like, they need to build their resume with patient pair, care. They need, they need patient care hours that really helps build their resume when they decide to apply for nursing school or becoming a doctor and going to residency. All of those things really help build that resume. And so we're like, okay, what can we do? And so we started talking with some of our technical schools in the area and they said, oh, we've got a certified nursing assistance uh, course. We could offer it right on site. And they said, we'll even do one better. We'll bring our nursing assistant trailer right there and we'll park it right on your campus. Your kids don't even have to leave. All they have to do is come in scrubs and they'll be able to work inside the trailer and get their. And so we had 14 kids do that this past semester. All 14 of them passed their state exam on the first try. And they all started being able to work in nursing homes or patient care facilities to start to build their resume for when they go into getting ready to be a nurse or a doctor or whatever career field that may be. Um, we had kids interested in engineering. We had kids interested in um, going back and becoming an educator. Uh, we wanted to pour into that. Our superintendent made a bold statement to all of them and said, if you go through this and you go and become a teacher, you can apply here and you will be guaranteed an interview. And so he want, he want, we want to grow our own. And so we're, we're continuing to build this. Um, we started very small with just about three options last, last semester. This fall, we, we roll out again with about 25 kids. And then we'll, we'll continue to double that as we go. Uh, because really what has happened is, is because kids can pace ahead, they are getting done with their requirements earlier. And now we can open up their doors. And what's really powerful is our district has, has bought in this idea that no matter if you're going to go to a four, a two, or right out into the workforce, we want to invest in you. And so they can take these courses completely free because our district pays for it. Uh, we pay for the books, we pay for the fees, we pay for the credits, uh, no matter what they're doing in that pathway. Travis, I always love talking with you. You have me inspired. Uh, you know, a lot of times we, we fall into this trap of thinking that, you know, change is hard. And anytime you want to think about moving a different direction, um, there's a lot of work involved, but you've been able to do some incredible things. Kudos to you and the people you work with. I know you're surrounded by great people in your school district. Um, just as we close, uh, what are some closing thoughts as you think about, you know, where's your school district going? What's, what's the five-year plan for your school district? You know, for us now, we're trying to just settle in and really make sure we're doing things well. 
uh, for a while there, we were just constantly ramping things up, maker culture, um, really building from the ground up with our, with our personalized learning. Now we're trying to settle in and make sure that we're bringing along everybody in, in small pockets. Uh, big change does not happen by bringing an entire school on board. And so we have to do this very strategically in kind of cohorts in small pockets and really start to let it, let it grow. And so now what we want to really make sure we're doing well for our staff is that we're just, we're bringing them along and we're supporting them properly. And so I don't foresee our district continuing to push new things. I see us now really settling in and saying, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing really well? And then how do we, how do we make tweaks to the system? But how do we just continue to support to grow this? Because uh, we really believe we're, we're, we're doing some great things for kids and we're supporting our families, but we just need to continue to have that conversation with them along the way. As, long, as well as business own, like the business and industry, we need them to come in and continue to talk to us so that we're continuing to change things based on the need of the industry as well. Uh, but, but it has to happen in small pockets as well for that because we can't change it overnight. Well, once again, it was great catching up with you and, and, and congratulations on all the success. Be sure to follow Travis on Twitter. Uh, you can find his blog, uh, always very insightful. And uh, if you want to visit the school, contact Travis. I'm sure they'll welcome you with, with open arms. So thanks again, everyone, for listening to this edition of the Reimagined Schools podcast. And as always, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you.